0: This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is Susan Elia McNeil. She's the author of the Maggie Hope series, which starts with um, Mr. Churchill's secretary. And the newest title that just came out a little bit ago is called The King's Justice. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com support. Susan, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Steve.
0: Um, I wanted to start out just, um, since it's a show about libraries, I wanted to um, just hear about your experience with libraries as you were growing up.
1: Well, I grew up in uh, a suburb of Buffalo, New York called North Tonawanda, and um, it's right on the Niagara River. And the North Tonawanda Public Library was everything to me growing up, mm-hmm. and um, I just had such a wonderful experience there. It was like a safe place to go. It was a wonderful place to go. The librarians were so engaged with everybody. And in fact, I made a very special friend, um, Mrs. Elizabeth Lewin, who was a librarian there in the 70s and 80s. And she knew I was sort of reading at an advanced level for my age. So she kind of like helped me find things like, you know, Jane Eyre and all sorts of like cool stuff that's sort of better for like, you know, kids who are a little more advanced, but not too <laughs> advanced, you know, like... Right, right, the, the challenging... <laughs> <Judith Kranz> stuff. <laughs> she steered me away from Judith Kranz. <laughs> but anyway, um, I was so psyched because a few years ago I was actually asked um, to go back and speak at the North Tonawanda Public Library, and Mrs. Lewin, who is now retired, was able to come, and it was so wonderful to see oh, her again. Oh, that's great. And I reminded her that she... um one of the books that she recommended to me was Mrs. Miniver. So at a pretty young age, I was reading about uh, Britain, you know, during the Blitz, and I do wonder um, if that had some sort of influence on why I chose to write about World War II in London.
0: Yeah, we we may be able to thank your librarian for your whole careers. So.
1: Pretty much. I, I do believe that. And I I have thanked her in books, so, and in person. So thank you, Mrs. Elizabeth Lewin, from North John Wanda Public Library.
0: Um, do you think your experience in libraries there and reading as a kid did um, encourage you to, like, want to become a writer?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, reading was everything to me. And um, it, it it's just such an amazing thing to be able to do. It's almost like magic, you know, like, someone writes a book, it's all these things in their head, and then you pick it up and you can like connect with what's in their head. I mean, it's it's really quite astounding when you think about it.
0: But um, back to libraries a little bit. Um, Now that you are a professional writer, um, do you still use libraries today to do your research? I mean, you do you do write historical fiction. So I don't know if you need to do some more research on that time period.
1: I do use libraries. Um, I live in New York City, so I am so blessed that I can use the New York Public Library. And I have gone, you know, on microfiche to research, you know, newspapers, um, you know, what was happening exactly on that day um, and magazines just to get the feeling of like what that month, like women were wearing and thinking about and interested in. There's just so much there's so much online and we're all very lucky, like all of us who write historical fiction. But there's so much that you can only get at the library. So I'm really grateful that, you know, I can go there and I'm assuming I will be able to go there again someday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Someday we will reopen our physical doors. Yes. Um, yeah, but I, I can see what, you say, what you're saying, though, that it's kind of just immersing yourself, like being able to see the entire like newspaper on the screen and see how it's laid out even and what's emphasized yeah, and what's it's not. A really and,
1: everything. Big deal. and just like being able to go through a magazine, um, y- you know, it just gives you such a better picture of like what was going on than just like one article that you could find online.
0: And have you ever been able to go over to um, England or London or to somewhere over there to do some research there as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, well, before all this craziness happened, um I would go for each for each um book, I would take a okay. research trip. And sometimes I would go um and do research in their libraries.
0: Did you notice any differences between libraries there and here?
1: Oh, um You know, libraries there have a lot more history and you know, they they keep you aware of who um who else has used that library to do work and some of the names are pretty incredible <laughs> um so i remember i i sat in the same seat where um bram stoker or not the same seat but the same area where bram stoker wrote dracula oh wow yeah but i think um, in our locally i think walt whitman used our brooklyn public library i i'm not don't quote me on that but i think i think walt whitman did
0: so that's pretty cool too <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so around the world great people have- <laughs>
0: um well, so um how did you once you decided you wanted to be a writer what have you were you always kind of an anglophile, or what kind of led you to wanting to write about um Britain in the first place and then maybe World war two and also mysteries on top of that
1: <laughs> i know it's it's like it's all so weird um, I guess I've always loved um British literature. I was an English major, um, but, but the big thing is that I I was over in um, my husband. Okay, we have to unpack this. My <laughs> husband works for the Jim Henson Company.
0: Oh wow! So he
1: is, you know, but um, so he was working as Bear in the Big Blue House. That was a show on Disney Channel a while back, and he was doing a lot for Disney Channel UK as Bear, and I got to tag along. And I remember going out to a pub with a friend of ours, and he's, he gave me a copy of Time Out London, and he said, you know, despite what you Yanks might think, World War II didn't start with Pearl Harbor. You might want to check out the war rooms. And then he opened it up to the page where it showed, like, the advert for the war rooms. And I really I, – I took it up on took him up on it. I, I went to the war rooms the next day, and it was just a completely life-changing experience. Um, so the war rooms are these um, – it's the the rooms where Churchill and his colleagues ran World War II, and it's like an underground bunker near 10 Downing Street. And it's mm-hmm. so – they all could they all could meet together, and if there were, you know, God forbid, a bomb, it wouldn't take them all out if they were meeting together. So um, it's all left the way it was um, back in 1945, and the pushpins in the maps are in the same positions, and you wow. can walk the same – doors Winston Churchill walked and it's the same kind of airless low-ceilinged place that you might expect from an underground bunker and going there was just such a catalyst for my writing this book I was just so taken with it
0: yeah I I was gonna say you just describing it just makes me brings me right back into that first book (laughs) so I mean obviously that must have been really in your head yeah
1: And you can see where the secretaries worked, too. There was a a room for a typist. And then the other thing that was really cool, and I'm sure um, led to my writing the book, is there was a, you know, they give you one of those headsets you get to walk around with. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, they did was they had an actress read part of one of the young typist's memoirs. And it was a memoir that I used quite a bit in my research. Um, And the woman's name is Elizabeth Layton Nell. And um, so being able to hear her words as I was walking those corridors was just incredibly powerful.
0: That That's awesome. <laughs> um, so uh, when, when did it um, kind of come to you to um, write kind of this specific first story? Like when did Maggie come into your head?
1: Well, I remember looking at the room where the secretaries were and I was thinking like, What if there were somebody there who was really chafing at being a secretary? Like, what if somebody really didn't want to be a secretary, but like couldn't do anything else because of gender? And so Maggie kind of just came from that. Uh,
0: was, Was there anybody like real that you knew about that was kind of in the same situation? I mean, obviously didn't get to the level that she did. But I mean, that was did you read about any women that were kind of chafing against that?
1: Um, well, once I started reading, yeah, there are there 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 were a lot of extraordinary women of that time who did and did not do um extraordinary things. I mean, did not do because of the um because of the sexism and whatnot. But um yeah, Maggie was Maggie's uh I wanted to show someone who was very cerebral and smart, but who is also maybe not as clued into social skills and working with people (laughs) and so that's like her thing is like she's so smart but she really sort of lacks some of these other skills and so like through the books we see her developing all these other parts of herself that you know if she'd gone into academia she never would have developed
0: right and 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 you get to And it's always a good idea in um, fiction a lot of times to have this outsider come in like her to come in and then you can describe all this stuff in the war rooms because she's somebody who doesn't doesn't know all that stuff. So you get it explained to the um, reader as well and get to go into depth and that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And the same for British society because she's an outsider. She's sort of an insider outsider, um, but she gets to like sort of tell us what she thinks about all these things and, you know, not take anything for granted.
0: Um, did you know, like from the beginning, did you say, Oh, this is going to be a series?
1: (laughs) No, I, um, I, I wrote the first book. Um, I, I mean, I didn't even hope that it would be published and it was a hard, long, arduous journey to publication. Um, but I always knew like the characters would keep going. Like they would, they would continue their lives. I don't that probably doesn't make sense, but like, I always knew that they would, they would keep going after the story because the war wasn't over and they obviously had more cool things to do. <clears throat> and then the editor that acquired Mr. Churchill's secretary at uh, random house, she, she was just like, so what else are you thinking about? And I told her, she's like, well, that sounds pretty good. Why don't we do a two book deal? And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I was gobs like completely overwhelmed. And then, you know, it was sort of touch and go, you know, cause they wanted to see what the sales were like. But finally I did get the contract for the third, I think, Ever since then, I've had, like, two or three book contracts, so it's it's been good, you know? It's
0: great. <laughs> um, so what are you in the middle of now? Do you have a—are you in the middle of a contract right now, so we automatically assume there will be another Maggie Hope?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I am currently finishing up for my editor um, The Hollywood Spy, which Ooh. is the next Maggie Hope book, and— um, Yeah, it's due May 15th. So in the craziness of all this, um, I am writing a novel.
0: You're you're having to focus.
1: (laughs) I'm having to focus. I'm also having to focus without my office space, because usually what I would do Uh is I would go to, um, in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, we have like a workspace. It's called like a I don't know like a study hall or something but it's basically just people with their laptops who come in and we all just sit there and work together but it gets me out of the house and you know it's it's a nice it's a nice place to go to you know you have to get up get dressed go to you know quote-unquote work Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and I really 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 am missing that now so Um,
0: so the newest book is the king's justice Uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that one
1: Sure. Well, in The King's Justice, Maggie Hope returns to London after quite a few adventures in um Paris and then Scotland. And she's really sort of done with everything. She's had quite a hard time. I mean, it, let's face it, it's book 9. She's been through a lot, and I wanted right. to sort of recognize that and have her like act out a little. So in this book we see her drinking too much, we see her riding a motorcycle way too fast we see her um smoking we see her making passes at her boyfriend i mean she's just she's in a very odd place and trying to work through it while not you know while pretending everything's just fine and in the middle of all this she gets um <clears throat> pulled into a a case of a stolen Stradivarius violin which then leads to a case of um that has to do with a serial killer so it's, uh, it was fun for me to do, not fun, but it was interesting for me to do because I got to revisit some of the characters from um, a previous book, of, like two books ago, um, The Queen's Accomplice. So there we, you know, it, it, was, it was neat to be able to revisit those characters and sort of see what they'd been up to and what they'd been doing.
0: Yeah, that's one of those fun things, I think, as then as you go back to visit other places she's gone, you'll be able to bring back some other characters that had popped up in those, like people who live in Paris or people who live in America and things like that.
1: Absolutely. So even though she's going to L.A., there will be people that she knows in L.A.
0: Um, would you see, um, I, and this is obviously quite a ways out into the future, but would you see the series continuing past the end of World War II and beyond if you kept the series going?
1: You know... I don't think so right now. And I mean, don't hold me to it. But (laughs) right now, my plan is to end the book, the book series with um, like VE day or soon Mm -hmm. after VE day. Um, I I just think there's a natural close to it there. And the thing is, Maggie and her cohorts and her her real life cohorts in World War Two, they did what they did for the war effort. They didn't right. do what they did because they were you know interested in being a professional intelligence officer or you know professional military. they sort of did what they needed to do to help their country and then they went back to their lives and rebuilding um, and I I just don't think Maggie's um, like a professional cut out to be a professional cold War spy I think maybe she will go back into academia but as a very changed person.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say Cold War spy is a lot different and you don't you don't want her to turn into James Bond at some point. So.
1: Right. That's exactly what I don't want. So I, I think just following what a lot of her real life, you know, SOE secret agents did, like she's she's gonna return to normal, you know, quote unquote normal life.
0: Well, I think um readers would obviously like to continue here seeing more of Maggie, but do you have um plans to ever write anything outside of the Maggie Hope series?
1: I have been really excited to do a standalone novel, and I'm not sure exactly when it's going to happen, but it's going to be set in the United States, and it's going to be set in the Los Angeles area in the 1930s, and it's going to deal with uh, the American Nazi movement. Mm. And it's also going to follow... um, a mother-daughter team, and these are real women, um, Sylvia and Grace Comfort, Um, and they absolutely real people, um, worked for a man named Leon Lewis, who was a sort of spy master. He he did intelligence in World War I for the Americans. He's American, and um, became a lawyer, and as someone who was Jewish, he was really appalled by the rise of Nazism in the Los Angeles area. Excuse me. And, um, obviously keeping an eye on things in Europe. So he basically pulled together all of these people to infiltrate the Nazi groups and, um, report back to him. And he tried telling things to the FBI, the FBI in the thirties, at least wasn't listening it's an incredible story, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about it and, and you know, write about it, and so we'll just see where, where this uh, turns up in, in the order of books.
0: So you're obviously a big fan of writing historical fiction.
1: I do like historical fiction. I don't even know what I would do, like, writing in the present day. <laughs> I, it, it's probably a whole different skill set. I'm not knocking it. It's It's... You know, to get your time period exactly right. Of course, now they consider the eighties like historical.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, you you could you're not going to write in um old Maggie Hope series in the eighties.
1: <laughs> Seriously.
0: <laughs> um. So before we wrap up, do you have anything in particular that you've been reading recently that um, you've been enjoying?
1: Well, I've been reading um, Eric Lawson's *The Splendid and the Vile*, which. I love, but I have to say my concentration is a little bit off during all this craziness. I just find reading is a bit harder than usual, although I'm grateful for it and I enjoy it. Um, so, And I'm also trying to finish my own book. So I, I think right. maybe I just don't have that much time for reading per se. Um, oh, here's something that might interest people who love libraries. Because mm-hmm. I can't get out of the house to write – I've been using, okay, so on YouTube, they have ambiance. You can listen to ambiance. And I've been listening to library (laughs) ambiance. And I'm not kidding. They have all kinds of library ambiance. They have like, you know, one with a crackling fireplace. They have one from the 1930s. They have one with thunderstorms and lightning. And it's incredible. So you can pick your ambiance. And honestly, it's helped a bit. Just to be able to like drown out the household noises and you know make me feel like I'm in a really cool library.
0: And is is it just like general page turnings and stuff in the background? Page
1: turnings. I think you know somebody must have recorded a real library, so you know you kind of hear books sliding in and out, and but it's all sort of white noise. It's comforting. Do you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. But yeah, we we all need some comfort (laughs) these days, and I, and I, I think I'm feeling the same thing. I think a lot of people are feeling the same thing too. It's hard to just focus and concentrate on things like reading in these days that's why people a lot of people are just plopping in front of the tv because they just can't focus on um yeah right now
1: and i think we'll get it back i mean i think we'll oh, get yeah. our concentration back but you know in the meantime you know if it helps to like put on you know the library atmosphere off of youtube mm-hmm. <laughs> i say go for it it's <laughs> helping me it just makes me feel like i've been to some different place you know
0: right and then and then you can write about bringing readers to another place at the same time. Exactly. All right. Well, Susan, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, your new book is The King's Justice, and it's available now. At um, I guess you have to look at it online now instead of going to your local bookstore or library for yes. that. Um, I did get it off of Libby, the library ebook app, so it is available there for people yeah. who want to read it but or you listen can't,
1: to it. You can patronize your um, local independent bookstore, and they will um, order things in for you, most yes. of them.
0: Yes, they'll order them for you and ship them to you or hold them for you until until this is all over. Exactly. All right, well, Susan, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Have a good one.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Cirque Ideas, or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening, and keep circulating your ideas.